Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us on our own to scramble around this earth and try to figure out how to live. But instead, you sent us your son, a living example of you and who you are. And you gave us your word. And that today you guide us by your Holy Spirit. God, you have been so good, so good to us. And we are thankful for that today. Lord, would you please help us to understand what we hear and to take action with it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So glad that you are here today. Uh, this is our fourth and final Sunday uh, in a series on the story that Jesus told, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'm going to read that in just a moment. But first, I'm just going to bring out a couple of the themes that we have already looked at. So we've been calling this Good Neighbor, and that is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If you want to thumb punch your way in your app over to that point or flip to that page of scripture. So this is why we use phrases like live like Jesus, share his love, because we believe that when I love God in the way that is described, I hear I can live like Jesus and share his love. It's also where we um, derive some of the understanding of a God's agape kind of love, which is a love that gives. And so that's why we use the phrase, love gives. It's also why we use the phrase, courageous generosity. Because we have come to believe that in Jesus, God has already given us His best. He didn't wait until we were at our best, but when we were at our worst, God chose to love us and give us Jesus. And the grace in Jesus is more than enough. So this is a church where it's okay to say, yeah, preach that, talk that, amen, anything like that, just letting you know what kind of church this is. So courageous generosity is where I choose to live on less of my own time, energy, and money so that I can give my best to God and to others. Does that make sense? Everybody good? All right. So the four elements that we have seen in this story that we, I think, uh, lift quite easily from the pages that you see on the screen are compassion, courage, commitment, and cash and credit. All right, let's turn to the story and see what this is all about. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to Jesus to test him by asking him this question, teacher... What should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two several coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Often you'll hear me reference another passage where Jesus is asked, what is the most important thing in here, in the scripture? And he brings this reply, love God with all you've got, your intellect, your passion, your soul, your strength. Love God with all you've got and love others in the same way you would take care of yourself. Jesus using that agape word for love. Jesus is teaching this is the most important thing. And then when he's put to the test and this guy is trying to get into heaven and justify the way that he lives, Jesus answers him with this story. And I believe that the elements of this story, Jesus is being specific. Can you say the word specific? Specific. Look at your neighbor say, we're going to get specific today. (laughs) All right. So we have already talked about the culture, the history, the various aspects of what's going on in this story. We've already talked about the strategy of the thieves. We've already talked about the cultural and economic changes. We've already talked about the racial tension that was involved, that Jesus made a very specific point in describing this story in the context of the racial tension, the violence between races that was going on. We've already talked about that. We've already talked about how God is not asking us to help other people without compassion and how important that is. This must be a part of our motive. We've already, if you've missed any of these Sundays, cityharborchurch.com, you can listen to the stream or download it or in any of the various podcast apps. And I would strongly recommend that you do since Jesus says this is the most important stuff. Well, what? We've already talked about how important compassion is. We've already talked about how important courage is. It's an essential part of this. We cannot help people. We cannot respond to the love that God has given us without compassion and without courage. And we've also already talked about commitment. We cannot do this without a decision to be diligent, a paying attention to follow through. We And, and to sum it up when Jesus takes the question and he flips it on its head, when we define what a good neighbor is from a Jesus kind of perspective, it's a person who will see a need and meet it. What you don't see is Jesus describing a faithful Yahweh follower who goes back to the church and asks the church for their money or their permission to meet the need. No, he doesn't. He describes someone who was willing to see a need and meet it. Someone who was ready to take love in action. Someone who was reflecting the God kind of love, which is a selfless love, a committed love. Now, let's talk about, someone say, let's get specific. <laughs> you don't have to have fun with this, but I'm going to. Now, because I have in my lifetime and in 20 some years of helping people with these issues, I have found that if someone's going to get weird, it's about money. None of you, of course, 
but just my life experience in general. And so today I've written out this message more than I usually do. So I'm going to do some reading today because I want some good communication betwixt us, between us. I want to be clear about what I am saying and what I am not saying. Someone say, thank you. Cash. What is cash in this story? Cash in this story is money available now to pay expenses of helping someone out. Simple enough, right? Credit is kind of combined with cash that we see in the story. What does he do? He pays the bill with the innkeeper and he says, if the bill goes higher, I will come back and I will pay it. So in credit, we see two simple factors. We see the ability to pay a future bill. This implies the... Now, listen, everybody. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God loves you. And I have had trouble with money. None of you have. I have had trouble. God loves you. This is coming out of loving God and loving others. Everyone okay? Credit, the ability to pay a future bill. This implies the use of good stewardship principles in general. A repeated decision to live on less of your income than your predictable expenses so that some money can be saved in particular. Thank you. Number two, in credit, this also includes a good reputation. I love it when I hear Christians say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Well, God wants you to. I'm just inviting you to grow up into this faith in Jesus. Good reputation. That's what Jesus is describing, the good Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, by the way, right? Somebody with a good reputation. This implies a lifestyle that others find to be trustworthy. People would predict that you will be able to bring the amount of money that you have promised. Jesus makes it very specific. The innkeeper didn't say, all right, Samaritan, are you sure? This innkeeper knew this Samaritan, right? He had credit. Now, I want to just summarize some study on the context of this story to help us out. The people with whom Jesus is speaking were primarily working in small family businesses to support themselves. You could get a loan and pay interest, but that would have been far less common for them than it is for us today. If you became unable to pay your bills, the consequences were even more severe than they are for us today. Certainly, it would have been simpler to manage your finances and resources than it is today. And yet, we can reasonably believe that the practice of being careful with your resources would have been understood and more commonly practiced than it is in our culture today. Jesus is not telling the story of a rich man helping the beat-up Jew, but rather an average person paying the bill. Now, I know you did not come here today for a financial seminar, so I'm not going to give you one. What we are going to do is tiptoe through the tulips of some really good scripture to get some God perspective on the subject. Does that sound all right? All right? Now, stewardship of resources. Let's talk about that. What are your resources? Your time, your energy, and your money. Okay? Your time, your energy, and your money. And a lot of people have quoted the parable of the talents. So you see on the screen, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. 
to just, oh, it's, I see that word talent, so that means, you know, the things I'm good at. Not what Jesus is really talking about. He's talking about good stewardship decisions of your time, your energy, and your money. Okay? Good stewardship. Good stewardship practices. This is, in particular, a Jesus idea. Many religions have been started without this idea. In fact, some religions are pretty much socialist in their practice and that they want a lot of your money because they don't think that you're good enough to control it. And they want to control it for you and they want you to do everything through the organized body of that religion. Jesus did not set up Christianity to work like that. But instead, in his typical upside-down, inside-out fashion, he instructed us as believers to make good decisions. So the good stewardship practices is a Jesus idea. Making good decisions. Your time, your energy, your money. Now, I'm going to move quickly through some scriptures here to help us with perspective. Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 through 21, we see Jesus saying, Store your treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is talking about the exercise of self-control and what your value system is. Do you, with your time, energy, and money, make decisions that show that you value the things that last forever more than the things that are temporary? And we talked about this earlier in the year. Look up the, the message title in this year, Bitcoin. We talked a little bit about this. The things that are forever in your life that will last forever are not your car, they're not your house, they're not your clothes. Now, God wants you to be a good steward of those things, but those are not the things that will last forever. The people that are sitting next to you and the not yet believers that are God has placed around you are the things that will last forever, either in heaven or hell. It really is that simple. So we can see if we just open up your bank account, I'm not going to do it. Calm down. If we look at how you spend your time and how you spend your money, we see where your value system actually is, regardless of what you say to me or how you present yourself. Them's the facts. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about. Store up your treasures in heaven was not meant to just be on a precious moment's ceramic figurine or on a greeting card. It's a Jesus talking about what our value system should actually be. Do I value the things that will be forever more than the things that are temporary? Okay? Now, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 something that I find I've never heard a Christian quote, but is really important. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And connecting to that, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. God is going to take care of you. Paul writes, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you're calling yourself a Christian, but you're not paying your own bills, that's not good. Okay? Now, maybe we can change what the bills are. Maybe we can live at a different place, drive something else, wear something else. Maybe we don't need a cell phone. Well, what? Right? 
Maybe we can change what the bills are, but this passage is specifically saying that if I'm not making sure that my family has a place to sleep and food to eat, then I'm worse than an unbeliever. It's the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul continues within this context, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Have you ever found sadness in money problems? I got 99, okay. Proverbs chapter 3, all right, just want to make sure you're all right. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. That doesn't mean if you're wealthy. That doesn't mean wait until you have more than enough. It's saying with the resources you have, honor God with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And this verse is calling back to a first fruits principle. And if you call yourself a believer in Christ and you've been walking with Christ for more than a year, I compel you as a shepherd, you must search the scripture for what you believe about tithe or first fruits. Now, some of you are like, what did he just say? He hasn't used that word in this church in three months. I know. Because it's a private spiritual discipline. It's between you and God. But have you asked yourself, what do you believe? This is referring to a first fruits offering, a first fruits principle. Do I take the best of my energy, my time and my money and give it to God? They gave an offering at the very first harvest that they took in when they were harvesting wheat. And they gave an offering at the end of the, at the end of the season when they were done with their harvest. I like this one. Proverbs, uh, Oh, I was thinking of it. There we go. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. (laughs) Wealth from hard work grows over time. This is another... I've never heard a Christian quote this. This is talking about saving small amounts of money methodically with discipline over a long period of time and how it grows into a larger sum of money. Saving a little bit. And this one, we can't get away from it. It's in the Bible. Fools spend whatever they get. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 10. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. I know that's right. Proverbs 27, verse 23. Know the state of your flocks. And put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever. I heard a Bible college teacher try to make this all about the pastoral ministry. Wrong. What he's saying is whatever your job is and whatever your resources are, be a good steward of it. Be diligent in taking care of your resources and make sure that you're making good use of them, healthy use of them, because this stuff does not last forever. The context of that passage, verses 24 through 27, is all about stewardship. I want to read a couple of longer passages and then I'm, I'm done with this part of it, but you may want to jot them down. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Going back to the con- context we heard earlier, Paul says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. 
always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Really good. Really good. Now, this one, a little bit less explicit for our purposes, a little bit less easy to understand. I would encourage you to read the whole context. I'm just going to lift some of the phrases from it. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 6 through 14. And I believe this passage directly connects to what Jesus is saying in this story. You hear me? Directly connects. I'm just going to lift a few. You're not going to like the first one. Pay your taxes. It's in there. Listen, I don't like it either. Give to everyone what you owe them. Owe nothing. That's right. Pay your bills. Owe nothing except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. In this, he, he lays out this, uh, as believers in God, we are a part of the light and the daytime as opposed to the dark and the night. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. This passage of scripture is explicitly saying, don't let self-control and your cravings for desires in this world run you out of money so that you can't help and be a good example of what a Jesus follower should be. Good stewardship matters. Now, I know that some of us are feeling some pain right now. Listen, I've been there. Okay? There's hope. We're going to talk about it. How can I grow in stewardship of cash and credit? Okay? Well, first, just like every lesson we've taken from this story, serve God out of this love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself by keeping your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. How can we do this? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. If you don't have the love of God welling up inside of you as it relates to how you will steward your resources, you will continue to be grouchy. And people will continue to not want to be around the grouchy Christian. But if instead you will love God with all you've got and love others out of that love that you've received from God, then there's hope. Now, how can we grow? Second, confess where you've lacked good stewardship with cash and credit. Come on, just get it out. Get it out. Just be honest. God already knows. (laughs) He knows my credit score too. (laughs) Confess where you've lacked it. Ask for forgiveness and receive it. Jesus went to the cross so you can receive forgiveness. Don't beat yourself up. How do you think Jesus feels when he sees you beating yourself up because you've made some bad decisions? Jesus doesn't want you coming to the Father based on your righteousness. That's foolishness. Come on, don't beat yourself up. Receive the forgiveness of God. Ask three, ask God for help with your perspective and your character. God, will you help me see my resources the way that you do? And will you help change my character, my faults? This I keep making this mistake. 
Ask God for help. Listen, I was miserable plenty of years of my life because there were areas of my life that were out of order, that were unhealthy, because I wasn't asking God for help. Don't make that mistake. Come on now. Number four, how can I grow in my good stewardship of cash and credit? Choose to save money by spending less than you earn. Spending less than you are taking in. I have found this principle to be true as it relates to my weight management. Now, I'm sensitive in referring to weight management because there's many medical conditions that cause weight gain. And I've had immediate family members that have had those. Please don't misinterpret this as being insensitive. But I don't have any medical condition that would cause me to be heavy. I'm pretty normal. I have found if I take in more calories than I burn, I get fat. You want a fat bank account? Take in more than you spend. (laughs) Number five, moving right along. I'm ready for Cinco de Mayo, are you? Number five, choose to be generous by having money available so that when you see a need, you can meet it out of compassion, with courage, and a commitment to follow through. That is some good stuff right there. Have money available. Number six, this one I think needs some consideration. Do not give to the point of being unable to help the next person for more than a month. I have uh, been asked to pay people's rent and electric bill because they gave money to others. That's not good stewardship. If you don't know how much money is going to be going out over the next month, it may not be time for you to be paying somebody else's rent. The good, that is not the pattern in the story in the Good Samaritan. Don't give out to the point of being unable to help for more than a month. Does that make sense? See me later if you have more questions on that. Number seven, give other believers permission to ask you how you're doing with your stewardship. Well, I want nothing to do with that. (laughs) Listen, we're all human. We all have pride. Some of it good, some of it not. This is how we grow. Are we really a spiritual family? This is how spiritual family works. I've given you permission to ask me questions. Give somebody, now remember the context, life-giving believers, right, healthy, particularly not the person that's making the same mistake you are right now, okay? All right, in closing, Milton, Snavely, Hershey had only a fourth grade education when he left working on a farm to work for a printer instead. One day he accidentally dropped his hat into the printing press and got fired. His family arranged for him to apprentice with a candy maker in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lancaster? Lancaster? Depends on where you're from. His innovation with Carmel became so successful it made it possible for him to start the Hershey Chocolate Company. He created a formula for milk chocolate and created the first nationally marketed marketed product of its kind. Hershey and his wife Kitty were Jesus followers. They were unable to have children 
and decided to help others, establishing a school for poor orphans just 11 years into their marriage. Only six years after establishing the school, Kitty died of an unknown disease. And Milton Snavely Hershey never remarried. Three years after her passing, Hershey transferred the majority of his assets worth $60 million, including control of the company, to the Milton Hershey School Trust Fund to benefit the school. The trust fund to this day has a majority of voting shares in the Hershey Company, allowing it to keep control of the company, Hershey. Milton took great pride in the growth of the school. It was Kitty's idea, Milton always said. If we helped 100 children, it would have been worthwhile. Today, the school serves more than 2,000 students. It is the largest residential education program of its kind in the United States. This is a place where children in need can come to receive an education and live in a home on campus with a married family for free. The students learn vocations and receive college prep. Each child is encouraged to explore belief in God. Weekly worship services are available. Today, they put more work and money into the education of each student than any other school in the United States to the tune of $110,000 per year per student. Milton Hershey continued to serve the operation of the school until he went to heaven at age 88. Will you stand with me and let's close in prayer. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for all that we have experienced today in worship, uh, understanding of the fact that we can be forgiven of our sins and as we shared communion to remember the sacrifice of Jesus and as we prayed through receiving the Holy Spirit today. And I thank you that God in all of this, even in things that seem insurmountable, even things that seem difficult, that you are helping us. And I know that, God, today, as we've talked about good stewardship of our time, energy, and money, that in particular, as it relates to money, some of us feel like there is no hope. Some of us feel like we are trapped. And God, we need you to open our eyes to see things and decisions the way that you do. Because, Lord, when it is our time to stand before you, we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And clearly, Lord, this stewardship thing is important to you. But God, we need your help. We need your help to see it the way that you do. And we need your help in our character and making good decisions. And we need your help to encourage each other, lift each other up. But God, this is an area where we need healing and forgiveness. So would you come now, forgive us for where we have made bad decisions. Would you come now and bring healing to us? God, I thank you that you are who you said you are. And that in you we have help today, including from those around us. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to make one last comment, please, before we start talking. This is easy to talk about in this church because we live this message. This week, this church directly met needs in groceries, expenses, books, classes for people that were homeless, for people that are suffering addiction, for people that were in prison. We had a banner week this week in meeting some direct needs that are difficult for me to figure out how to talk about and still preserve the identity, the dignity of those that we are serving. 
That is possible because you choose to be good stewards with your finances. We're here in a rental space on a Sunday morning. We don't have a building because as a church, we made a value-based decision that we weren't going to wait till we were big. We weren't going to wait until we had a budget. We weren't going to wait until we had a building to start meeting needs in the community. That's you. That's you. Rebecca and I know what it's like to go through difficulty and challenges and loss. We had to short sell. We lost our home in Portland. We lost $100,000 in cash and years of hard stewardship. We've been through some stuff. We are more than happy to walk alongside you and help you make healthy decisions. I love you. Thank you for being here today. Grace and peace to you. Have a great day.